Good morning. Uh, if you want a Bible, hold your hand up. We'll get one to you. If not, and you already have one, why don't you go to Matthew uh, chapter 1. We're in our series, Let Us Adore Him. And so Matthew 1 is where we're going to be. Uh, but as we do that, I want to invite up to kind of set the stage for what we're going to read this morning and how we're going to think about Christmas. I want to invite some dear friends, Cindy and Raphael Komakech, and they are coming. So why don't you welcome them? Great. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Come front center, uh, Cindy. Uh, we'll start with you just because, come here, brother. Uh, uh, here we are. Uh, we've, I've known you a little bit longer than Raphael, and uh, y- we went together to Uganda. How many years ago was this now like? The first time was in 2015. 2015, and then you went, and after going and serving, we were in Arua, weren't we? We were, yes. Uh, Arua is a place that we partner with and we have for six years, and then you ended up sponsoring a child. I did. After uh, the trip in 2015, the church had a uh, similar uh, uh, gathering like this, trying to encourage sponsorships. And I, after being in the city and connecting with the people, decided I wanted to be a part of that. Yeah. What, just give us a little bit. What's that experience been like? Have you had a chance to write a letter here or there? Yeah, it's, um, it's really meant a lot. Uh, I had this special opportunity shortly after I started sponsoring to be able to meet my sponsor child. Yeah, you went again. Um, I went again, yeah. um, and I got to actually meet That's, my sponsor oh, child. Great. Yeah. What, what's his Brian. name? Brian. Brian. Of, co- of course it's Brian. <laughs> and uh, a little soccer ball that you had brought. I think we have another photo, too, of meeting the whole family. Yeah, um, his dad was there, um, and uh, they inter- uh, introduced us to their property and their house, uh, their you know, one, one or two room hut type house uh, where at night they roll out the mats and that's where they sleep, but they clear those out and put, put a table and a couple chairs for us to come and sit. Um, and it was just a really good opportunity to see how they live, the vegetable garden that they grow uh, for meals and t- for trying to sell. Um, and so that really kicked off our sponsorship relationship um, to uh, be able to see him grow from the very beginning, watch him learn. Uh, he, right now he wants to become a doctor, which is perfect because uh, Raphael is a, a doctor. And um, so it's just been really a, a special thing to, to write back and forth and, and see that relationship mature. Well, I'll let you guys cuddle up. I'll come to this side because segue <laughs> to Raphael. Uh, you are newer to our church. How long have you been coming to the church? I've been coming to this church since March. Since yeah. March? Yes. Uh, is the temperature here warmer in March or colder in March? <laughs> it's oh, colder. No. So cold, so cold. Well, all right, give us a bit of the story. Where did the two of you meet? Uh, we met in Arua, 2016. I joined a team to go and uh, serve the people in Arua. So, uh, Ra- so Dr. Raphael he is a doctor. We were going with the team, Cindy included, up to the north to Arua to serve people. We had met, uh, and we show up in Arua. My brother's on the trip, and he's ridiculously ill. We roll in in our bus, and we know that there's a doctor. The next thing you know, I meet this young man who is setting up an IV in my brother's bed and nursed him back to health. And that was, and I had no idea you'd be coming to this church. I probably would have been nicer <laughs> to you. But uh, anyway, I was nice, actually. Uh, so... Raphael, you, uh, you were there to serve Jesus in Arua, and then you end up meeting a beautiful young lady. Yes. Yeah. And so uh, how long have you been together? How long have you been married now? Since April. Since 20th. April of this year? Yes. Yeah. I'm asking questions I know the answer to. <laughs> I ended up officiating. So what a, what a, 
<laughs> what a dream opportunity. I just wanted you to see full well. Maybe you can help us because you're a native Ugandan. What I love here is it's not, we're not replacing family. We're not replacing the good, thing, good things that God has given to moms and dads. We're partnering. What, what does it look like growing up, going to school? What do you see in terms of sponsorship? How could it be helpful in terms of the church and the life and the family and the child? Um, in terms of the church, it gives uh, the church a relevance in society. Because uh, when these kids have an opportunity to gather and uh, go have games, play, because when they get sponsorship, definitely they get opportunities to meet as different kids of different backgrounds. And uh, this places the church in a position that it has uh, ability to influence people's lives. And it becomes a, a very cheap way through, you can, through which you can spread the gospel to the different family members. Because it is one thing to spread the word of God, but then it is one thing also to spread the help. Yeah. Because when you sponsor a child, you give them so many opportunities. These kids have opportunities to make friends, to play. The other thing which is very, very passionate to me, actually, which I would think is the most, one of the most important things to sponsor these kids, they get opportunities to have good health care. Because as a kid, when you're sponsored, that's an opportunity in which you can meet a doctor. When I was as a doctor in Uganda, I had opportunities to treat so many of these sponsored kids. As many people would not afford to see a doctor, right. all these sponsored kids had like an open door to see a doctor, which is, which is really, really very good. Yeah. Yes. Well, we are so glad that you're a part of our church. We're so glad that you're a part of Cindy's life, and we pray blessing on you both. Can we just say thanks Thank you. for them sharing? Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love it. You go and bring friends to Uganda. Years later, there are right now hundreds of children who are being sponsored, loved, as Dr. Raphael had said, seeing good health care as part of the program. And in the end, Cindy and Raphael fall in love, start a family, and move to freezing cold Portland. Wow. God can do anything. Anyway, well, I wanted to share a bit of that just because some of you missed last week. If you missed it and missed the podcast, there are 15 left. Our goal has been 200. We started this about a year, uh, two years ago now, and we reached 150 sponsors. Some have had a drop off for financial reasons. And so we've come back now around Christmas with 60 some odd and 15 are left. And so if your heart is stirred today, all I want you to do is, before you leave the gathering, in the space, to the left of the doors is a table, $40 commitment a month, uh, and the goal would be, by faith, that you would walk with that child through high school. So if they're 10 now, that's lots of years of faithfulness. But you know what? It's worth it. And there are people who are being changed through the local church in Arua because of our faithfulness to simply say, God's given us a lot, so we're going to give some First purposes, which this is super cool. If you already sponsor, God bless you. If you're not in a position to do it, God bless you. And I pray that you would get a raise this year and that you wouldn't spend it on things that don't matter. You would spend it on things that matter. All right, let's pray. We're going to dive into our series, uh, Let Us Adore Him. Lord, we do thank you this morning. We count what we heard this morning as worship to you, that uh, husband and wife, come together, fall in love with you, 
and at the same time met and started their relationship because they felt like you would love them so much that they both went on mission to Arua. A doctor from Kampala going up to serve fellow countrymen. Uh, an accountant and a controller here from the U.S. feeling the tug to go love people in a different part of the world. And we just recognize, Lord, as we think about this season, this is your work. And we just want to get in line with what you're doing. Holy Spirit of God, now show us the very things that we're called to do. and We're called to be in light of your coming. We want to be sent. In light of your advent, we want to go out and share this news, whether that's through loving one child monthly by supporting them or in other ways. Holy Spirit of God, show us. And we have open eyes and open ears to see, to hear, to know what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, the title of this series is Let Us Adore, and we're moving towards Christmas on the Christmas Eve at 4, and at 6 will be the final message that will pull all of this together. But what we've been doing is trying to reimagine Christmas because it's old news. It's every year. You've had it since a child, and so we're trying to highlight one thing each week, just one thing that ought to make us rethink why we should worship Jesus. I mean, we're down to 17 days, okay? If you have Prime or any key shopping things, get it, get it done soon. And it's all about parties and, and, and presents and joy. But here's what I know, because I've been around for a while. Christmas for some is amazing, right? It starts right after the 4th of July, and you just keep going with it. You can't wait. For others, the closer we get to Christmas the more depression and disappointment roll in. Uh, maybe you don't think about it that way, but every holiday is polarizing. Every holiday is interpreted. And for some, Christmas, Thanksgiving, is a, a reason to lament. It's a reason to cry. It's a reason to be bitter. It's a reason to resurface uh, the pain that's in there. And that may not be you, but all I want us to know is Christmas evokes all sorts of responses and so we want to think of our responses in light of Jesus. One reason why we should follow him. Well, last week we looked at uh, Matthew 1 and starting at verse 1. And we saw the genealogy of Jesus. And here's what we got from last week. If you missed it, if not, it's on the podcast. We see that Matthew starts his telling of the good news with God's faithfulness. One thing that we could think about, one reason to celebrate, is God's been faithful from generation to generation. He's been faithful for thousands and thousands of years, and maybe you haven't seen that yet. Maybe, maybe this is the season where we could remember, if you're following Jesus now, someone was following Jesus before you and was faithful to live out their faith, share their faith, introduce you to the king, and now you're following him. We take it for granted. Maybe we should thank God for the people that passed on the faith to us. But now I want to pick it up in verse 17 where we ended last week because there's this intriguing way that Matthew ends and this morning I want to look at one more reason why we should worship Jesus and we'll do that every week. Look at verse 17, Matthew 1, 17 says, thus there were 14 generations in all and then he ties these, these important people from Abraham to David and then there was 14 from David to the exile in Babylon and then there's 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is so weird. Why in the world is he saying 14, 14, 
14, you know, back in the day, before there wasn't typesetting the Gutenberg Press and all of that, and now online printing, what a writer had to do was use as many tools as they had, and there weren't many, to try to make a point. There's no highlighter. There's no bold font. And so early on in the story, Matthew wants us to know, God's faithful from generation to generation. Yes. And then he says, oh, yeah, there were 14 before David, Abraham to David. And there's 14 uh, to the end of the kings and the exile. And then there's 14 after they come back. What in the world is he saying 14, 14, 14? Well, some of the scholars have pointed out, like today, often the alphabet is also made numeric, right? So you have you know, A equals 1 and B equals 2. Well, in the Hebrew alphabet, it was numeric. And, and, and if you know any bit of Hebrew, it's consonants and no vowels. Vowels are just little squiggly marks. It's all, it's all just consonants. And so you have DVD, David, and then little squigglies to make the A and the I in our language. And so some scholars have pointed out Matthew's throwing in a little subtle hint of God's faithfulness. D, uh, then the V, then the D, 4, 6, 4, 14. So 14, but really leading to David. Who's the 14th person mentioned on that? It's David. 14 from David to the end of the exile. 14 from the end of the exile in the Messiah. David, David, David. When you think of Jesus, you've got to think of David. Maybe that seems like a little bit of trivia to you, but I want to suggest this morning that the telling of the story of Jesus' coming is not about his birthday. As a matter of fact, when you read Matthew, he just says he's born. Move on. Luke is the one. Luke's writing, listening to Mary's perspective. Matthew is writing, listening to Joseph's perspective. And like a guy, the details get lost. There's like nothing about the birthday, nothing about the party. What do we get? David, David, David. So in essence, the advent of Jesus, I want us to catch this, is primarily about the coming of a David-like king. And that's what I want to hone in on this morning. Well, let's just keep, let's just keep reading, right? That was David, 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 verse 17. 14, 14, 14. This is the promised one. Now verse 18. We'll just keep reading. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Jesus is a real man with a real mother, and he's really born. Verse 19, but he's not, or middle of verse 18, but he's not just an ordinary child. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's different than ordinary birth. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. These are all these markers about what the Christmas story is about. Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, from God. She's going to give birth to a son. You're going to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. We're going to see all sorts of contrasts today. David is going to save God's people from the enemy, from the enemy armies. But one of David, the son of David, Jesus, the Messiah, is going to do more. David was born Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. 
There's all these parallels. There is one greater than David who has come. And then verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, speaking of Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we know Jesus is the shortened version of Joseph, which means God uh, saves. I'm sorry, short, short of Joshua, which means Yahweh or God saves. So this one who's from the line of David is Emmanuel, God with us. His very name means God saves. So verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she was given birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Because if an angel shows up and says, do this, what? You do that. I mean, like, the angel says, here's his name. You ain't going to mess with that angel. I don't want that thing coming back and take me out. What do we learn about God? Last week we saw that God is faithful from generation to generation. Here's what I want us to see this week. God humbles himself. He humbles himself like a child. How is God going to rescue his world? This is interesting. People were looking for a rescuer, which is why, even in the time of Jesus, people were longing for God's salvation. We said it last week. The people were back from exile. God brought them back into the land, but they had no king. Rome was ruling, and it was an unjust place to live. But they knew that they were in God's land and had God's temple, but now they wanted David. They want, like, they want the land to be filled with the presence of God and the word of God and God's people to live in God's way, just like we do today, don't we? You, those of you who love Jesus this morning, don't you want things just to be right? Don't you want to be in a place where, where we live out the word of God, where we love one another, like Jesus said, and where evil is gone? We long for this in our soul. And God in his people, they were longing for this. And, and here's how God's going to do it. And I want to make the connection. It shouldn't have been a surprise that Jesus came the way he did. By the way, in the first century, this is a total surprise. Heroes aren't born this way. Heroes are born with great power and pomp and circumstance. And they're born in the king's palace. And everyone comes and adore him. And Jesus is born in such a almost scandalous way. Young girl, engaged, pregnant, from the Holy Spirit. What? Who in the world believes that? Especially in their day. Like, I'm sorry, sweetie pie. God didn't come to you. You've obviously done something wrong. No, this was of God. Why in the world would God come this way? Like a child. What's even more powerful? Today we kind of idolize kids. We do. As a culture, you know, we reorient our entire schedule for the sake of the child. We do it. We do it. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm just saying that's unlike the time where Jesus was born. Uh, children were manual labor. You had many because someone had to work the land and continue the family trade. And, of course, you were valuable. You, you got to eat last. You honor the eldest. Your elders, those with age, experience, wisdom, those are the ones you look up to. Today, it's kind of flipped. We forget those that are older and we idolize young. Just look at marketing. The only time where someone who's not 
perfect, look good, looks good on an ad is when they talk about the ad campaign about showing normal. Like, wow, isn't that cool? Because we're so used to seeing brushed over, airbrushed, fake, young is everything. That's the world that we live in. Well, that's not the world that Jesus lived in. So here's triple weird. The Savior, God, is going to come and rescue his people by becoming one of the most vulnerable. He's going to become a child. This is the way that God's going to save the world. And that is the point of Christmas. It's about God's faithfulness. Now, since we see the children were just the workforce and nothing big, what do we see in Mary, look back here. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Uh, why this little point here? Joseph is the connection point to David, not Mary's family. So, so Matthew helps us to see how he is the fulfillment of all that God had said because he is a son of Joseph as opposed to David, who is their greatest king, because the contrast is about David and Jesus. David is born in a humble beginning. We'll get to that in a second. Jesus is born in a humble beginning. David is a great king, but Jesus is a greater king because he's also the son of God. So he's, he's born by God himself. I can't fully explain it, but I absolutely Believe it. Where does Matthew get this kind of stuff? From Jesus himself. Remember, Matthew walks with Jesus for about three years. And the secrets of the kingdom of God, Matthew gets from Jesus himself. Obviously, Jesus connects the dots. But it starts with a bit of a scandal because Joseph has to adopt Jesus into his family. Um, they were pledged to be married and they, they had a child. In their day, the uh, marriage was a two-step process. Ours is sort of like you're engaged, but what does that mean? That means you set a date or something. But in their culture, to be betrothed or to be engaged is as being married, except you don't move in, you don't sleep together, you don't have kids. But as far as the families are concerned, it's a done deal. So to break uh, 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 an engagement would require a certificate of divorce. It's that serious. So you, you were betrothed a year before your wedding day and it was a chance for everyone to prepare for this huge celebration and then finally you come together on the wedding day and the two become one. But in, in essence, as far as Mary and Joseph's family, they are married. Now we know from Luke that, that Mary went off to be with her relatives for about three months. So now when we read Matthew, she is with child. She's four months pregnant. Obviously, people are starting to see and wonder what's going on here. And, and we, what we learn is that God did this. So Joseph is going to do the right thing. Like the son of David, uh, David was one of the most just and honorable kings. Joseph, interestingly enough, is in the line of his great, 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 great grandfather. He sees what Mary has done. She's pregnant. And what does he do? He could, he could bring her in front of the town square and have her absolutely ridiculed in the worst case scenario, which I don't know if they often did it by the time of Jesus. She could be killed for adultery. I don't know if it was actually practiced at that time, but that's what the law allowed for. But she would definitely be shamed, and her entire family would be shamed, as this is the one who broke covenant. But Joseph is a godlike man. Jesus' adopted dad walked in the law of the Lord, loved God, 
And so he says, well, I'm going to put her aside. I can't marry her now. I'm going to do it quietly. Now, this is the least likely beautiful birth of a Savior until we think about David. Uh, 1 Samuel 16, we won't go there for time. I'll throw one little piece on the screen. But this is supposed to remind us, when we tell the story, Matthew has the Bible in mind. And when we think of the story of Jesus, you actually think of the story of David who was born in the most humble way. You remember God came to Samuel, who was a prophet, a spokesman for God, and told him, hey, I'm done with King Saul, who's still king. I'm done with him. But I'm going to send you to anoint someone. Samuel's like, what? Are you crazy? If the king finds out about this, that there's going to be a new king, he's going to take me out. Don't worry, go to the place I'm going to show you. And he takes him to the house of Jesse. And if you know the story, uh, God tells Samuel, when, when the boy comes, that's going to be the next king, I'm going to let you know who it is. And like anything, he tells the dad, Jesse, bring your boys. We're going to have a meal together. Doesn't tell him all that's going on, but I want to see your boys. And in their culture, all of the honor goes to the oldest. And then it goes down, a little less honor for the second, a little less honor for the third, a little less honor for the fourth. And by the time you get to the eighth child, there ain't nothing left. You better eat fast, boys, because you're not getting seconds if you're the eighth child. And so this is interesting. God comes as a child in the most humble way. But look at the greatest king. 1 Samuel 16, verse 6 and 7. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, the oldest child, and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Remember, the Messiah means the anointed one, the one with God's favor on him. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? Heart. This is so good. Why should we worship this Jesus? Look at how God comes and meets with us. He could come top down. He could write his name in the sky. But God presents himself in the most humble way because God knows what's in the heart. And this is a beautiful word, especially if you're not the firstborn. Uh, there's hope for you. Because <laughs> it wasn't Eliab. And if you read the rest of the story, I won't do it for time. Uh, Jesse brings out the next boy. No, not him. The next boy. No, not him. The next boy. No, not him. Finally, after seven, he says, uh, maybe I miss God, but you got anybody else? Interesting. David wasn't even brought in when dad was supposed to bring in his sons. Oh, yeah. Oh, there is one more. But he's out with the sheep. And some of us think, oh, that's so beautiful. No, he's out cleaning toilets. He's out in the latrine. The youngest kid gets the dirty work. But you know what? In the least likely place, in the dirtiest, filthiest environment, God is preparing a king. And this is a beautiful word. Why worship Jesus this Christmas? Because he has the ability to take someone who's in the middle of nowhere and is no one and bring them somewhere and make them someone. And so in the same way you see like David was anointed and appointed by God, Jesus comes from obscurity. And now where does, where does Matthew get these connections? Because we're going to see more next week. All that Matthew does in the beginning is he parallels the life of David and overlays Jesus. It's beautiful. 
If you're new to the Bible, you can just gloss right over it. But the coming of a real king is a story of the coming of King David much better. King David most holy. David was the greatest, but now one greater than David has come. And so what you're going to see is Matthew selects points in Jesus' life and parallels it with, uh, in David's life and parallels it with Jesus and says, now you can see the evidence what God did, God does. What he did before, he's doing again. And this is just the beauty of Christmas that we sometimes overlook. Where does, where does Matthew get these connections? Obviously from Jesus, because he's, he's been with them for years, but he also is reading his Bible, and this is so helpful to us. He's reading his Bible in light of Jesus. Look at verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And then he quotes a passage from Isaiah 7. So Matthew has Jesus to teach him, and he has the word of God to teach him. The virgin, quote, will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, I'm going to go on a slight tangent because this is actually beautiful and helpful when we think about reading the Bible. Especially when you're reading the first part of the Bible with all these prophecies. Isn't it just easy to skip over? Because like, okay, God said that and he did it, I hope, or I think. And I don't want to connect those dots. Get me to the good stuff on what I'm supposed to do with my life. But what we forget is sometimes the Holy Spirit is working in Scripture to show us what he not only did, but what he's doing. Let me give you a perfect example here. Um, when you read Isaiah 7, which is this quote, in Hebrew, it actually can be translated, and a young woman will give birth to a son. In other words, God spoke to, to Isaiah about a young woman that King Ahaz was a young woman was going to come to King Ahaz and they were going to have a son and there was a prediction about a real child probably in his own lifetime. So in one sense, what Isaiah saw was what God was about to do like a few years from his own line. But remember, Matthew starts with a genealogy which reminds us God's working from generation to generation to generation. God's not flat like we are. We only think one level we only think one layer. God is doing so much more. And so Isaiah's prophecy in one sense had probably already been fulfilled, but God is working in his word in layers that we don't even see. So years later, centuries later, the Bible is translated from Hebrew uh, into Greek. And when you read it in Greek, so this is not long before Jesus was born, when that Bible is translated into Greek, the, the, those who are looking at the Hebrew, what does this mean, the young woman? What does this mean in our language? It could be young woman. It could be virgin. And the translators of the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible clearly put, and the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. The Holy Spirit who was working through Isaiah, the Holy Spirit who was working through the translators of the text, ancient promise that had multiple fulfillments. In other words, what God was doing, he was going to do again. This is interesting. God predicted a king would rule, and that was fulfilled in David. But multiple fulfillments. When God speaks about David, he's looking ahead towards Jesus. We read the entire Bible in light of Jesus. So what was said about David should lean us forward to the one who's like David to come, who's Jesus himself. And in the same way that a young woman would give birth to a son was a hidden 
promise that had future fulfillment. Yes, at the time of Isaiah, it had an immediate fulfillment. But there was, even the people of God knew this is not just about the ancient king and a child who would eventually die. There is a promise about one to come. And so Matthew connects the dots. And in the same way, I think that we ought to come to the Bible with expectation. We ought to come to the text with expectation. Yes, there are things that have been fulfilled. And when we read the Bible, what I'm looking to do is see what does it say and what does it mean and what did it mean to the people that it was written to. That's the basics of learning how to study the Bible. Before it's the word of God to me, it's the word of God to them. And so I don't just jump and say, what can I get out of it? What I want to say is, what's the Holy Spirit doing in Matthew, writing to the early group of Jesus followers who need to know about the birth of the David-like king? That's totally cool. But that's not where it ends. We read the Bible with hope and expectation because Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. And the word of God was breathed out by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was there when it happened. The Holy Spirit guides Matthew to write it down. The Holy Spirit guides translators to get it into our language. The Holy Spirit gets it in our ears and in our eyes and speaks to us. The Word of God is alive. And so this Christmas, we come with this expectation that, you know what? You can read an ancient text and get a word that's from God for you today. And that's exactly what happens in Matthew. He reads Isaiah and he sees Jesus. Now, the reality of it is, though, most of the time when God is working and he works in humble ways, we don't know what's going on. If I suggest, suggest to, you, to you that you could read the Bible and get this, this like, understanding and the Spirit could speak to you, and you're like, Jose, I, I kind of get that theoretically, but that never happens to me. That's okay in the sense of most of the time we are clues to what God's doing. How do I know? Just an example here. Look at verse 24. When, when uh, Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Joseph doesn't fully get it, but the angel gave him enough word from God to say, you should do it. So he leans and he does it. Verse 25, but he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son. They gave him the name Jesus. It sounds so simple. Joseph doesn't understand what God's doing, but he obeys. And I think that's the word of God to us. Isaiah doesn't know everything that's going on, but give a prophecy. Isaiah, the spirit is speaking. Tell the king about a young woman. But there's so much more. 700 years later, this is about Jesus. Isaiah doesn't even realize it. Joseph doesn't get it. Jesse doesn't get it about his kids. David doesn't get it when he even thinks it's his own life. And so we're called to adore him. All I want to do this morning was to peel that there are layers and layers and layers to what God is doing. He works from generation to generation. And what he did in David, he's now going to do in greater ways in Jesus. But what does it look like for us to adore him? Because that's all nice background stuff. I think three things this morning that may help us as we lean in just 17 days away from our Christmas celebration. The first one's this. God works in ways that we don't fully understand. I think that the Christmas story reminds us because Matthew pulls it together, Luke pulls it together for us, but most of the people didn't understand what God was doing. And when we look at the first Christmas morning, we forget that there are layers that we haven't even seen yet. So Joseph's asked to, to, to marry a pregnant woman. He doesn't fully get it, but he obeys. Uh, Mary gets pregnant without Joseph. 
but she hears the word. If you read Luke's gospel, you get her side of the story. And uh, she's like, let it, let it be to me as you've chosen, God. I don't get what you're doing, but I'm, I'm with you. And when it comes to King David, uh, Jesse is told that the youngest son will soon be king. Now, as a dad, he's probably infuriated. We see it as, all, oh, he's happy. A prophet has come and overlooked my eldest seven kids. When all the honor in their day goes to the oldest, this guy must be off or God is up to something. I didn't see any future. I didn't see any greatness in kid number eight. But we need to remember God works in ways we don't fully understand. So the advent of Jesus reminds us that God is working in ways that are beyond us. Let me just say a word to you. Don't be overly discouraged. It's okay to be discouraged. When things aren't going your way, the last thing I want to tell you is, hey, who cares? Suck it up. Jesus loves you. That's pretty insensitive. But don't be overly discouraged. God's working. It's okay to have moments of like, why, Lord? But let's remember, if he can put the pieces of the puzzle for the coming of the Savior, certainly he can care for my life. So this may be a difficult season, but guess what? God knows it. You may feel like you're the overlooked one. You may feel like you're like the David who's out there with the dirtiest job, out with the sheep, and you're calling on God. Nobody sees you and nobody knows. You just need to know at the right time, the word of God will come to you. And you'll get your moment. And God do, will do what he promised. Don't be discouraged. God works in ways we don't fully understand. I think the second thing goes with it. God works through the humble. Uh, he works through the humble. The beautiful story of Jesus and his humility isn't a new story because it's the story of David. David isn't a privileged kid. David's from a normal family and one of the normal tribes, and he's got a very normal and blasé job. But God is working. And so God embraces the humble. God's preparing the shepherd boy to shepherd his people, Israel. So when I think of David and all he did for the kingdom, and then I look at Jesus, who's born in such a humble way, it reminds me, this is how God works. Um, and it's confirmed in the coming of Jesus. He goes from the little manger in Bethlehem, and he's now the king of the world. And let me just tie it in. It's why... It's good for us as a church and a community to focus on people and places that other people may overlook, right? There aren't people clamoring to get to Arua, Uganda. As a matter of fact, when I go to Uganda, and Kampala is in the south, and it's the main city, and, you know, I have a lot of friends there. Hey, where are you going? And, uh, oh, Arua. Ooh, wow. As a matter of fact, I, most Ugandans I've met have never been to Arua. I'm like, wow, I came there from Portland. The least you could do is take a bus up there. You know, it's like your own country. But Arua is seemingly out of the way. But here's the beauty. Why, why Arua? I say, why not? God led us there. God opened the door. And so you and I ought to step into places not even knowing all that God's doing. And we shouldn't be afraid to invest in things that seem humble. And in that overlooked part of the world, who is God raising up now that we don't even know about? I have no idea. But I'm grateful that we're a part of it. God works through the humble. That means in God's kingdom, a king can come from anywhere. And maybe that's a word to you. Maybe you feel like you're never going to reach the thing that God had put on your heart. Look, you hold on to Jesus. Make this a season of worshiping him because he can raise you up. 
By the way, he also opposes the proud. (laughs) He can put you down. Let's be like David. Let's be like Jesus. Uh, Third thing, and I I think we ought to respond and worship out of it, is is God's calling us to listen and obey. Samuel, all Samuel does, he looks at the first Eliab and he says, that's the one. And God says, no. So Samuel has to listen to God and obey. It's the second son, no. Third, no. Seventh, no. Finally, when David walks in, that's the one. Pour oil, anoint him. You see, Samuel learned what we ought to learn is that the life of following Jesus is where we listen, obey. So you see it in Joseph. Joseph listens and obeys. You see it in Mary. Mary listens and obeys. And when you read Luke and you read Matthew, the shepherds, the wise men, everyone, they listen to the word of God and they obey. And what a word for us in the here and now. So let's just land it with a couple of questions. What is God saying to you? What what is it that he's stirring Where's God leading? Where's God moving you? The question is, are you, are you listening? Are you even inviting? Are, are you making it the natural, normal part of your life rhythm to invest energy to hear from God? If there's anything we, could, we should get out of Christmas is that time in the presence of God matters. Time with God is not a check the box. Time with God is the place where we hear the Father's voice and we learn on where to go and what to do and what to avoid. And that kind of life where Joseph hears from God and obeys and Mary hears from God and obeys. I don't think it's written in the text to show off a few superheroes. I really don't think. Because you know what? Joseph's a nobody and Mary's a nobody. And so God comes to people that others overlook and he speaks words to them. And he is hoping that we will listen. And obey. What is God saying? And then with that, let's let's throw it in. What is God calling us to do? Uh, Christmas is not just about retelling a story that's ancient so that we can remember it and move on. We retell the ancient stories so we find ourselves in the story living out like they did the life of faith. And so this, this coming of Jesus... This coming of Jesus in the strangest way ought to have a word to us about the way God speaks. What's God saying to you? It will require faith. What's God saying to me? It will require faith and trust. And I just want to be the kind of person that's listening and taking steps of obedience. So maybe God has already stirred some things that you've yet to take action on. My word to you this morning, based on the word of God, is it's not enough to hear it. God's pleasure comes when we hear him and we obey him and we walk it out. Take that step of faith. Follow his leading. Listen to his voice. And in that way, remember Christmas. Amen. Why don't you stand on your feet and we want to worship the king together. Obviously, uh, a super practical one is there are 15 young children who are in need of a sponsor. If that may be the, that's probably the easiest one. If that's you, uh, look at those packets. Don't take it home, please. Don't take it home. Fill out the card. We'll tear off the card. You keep their info, and then we'll, we'll confirm that they're sponsored this morning. But I think there's so much more than kids being sponsored. What's the Spirit of God saying to you? Will you listen and obey? Lord, 
We want to be a people marked by your advent who take time to hear your voice. And when we get a grip that it's you speaking, God, that we step out in faith. And whether that's as wild as the potential scandal that Joseph is going to feel when he takes very pregnant Mary to be his wife, or the scandal she feels when she's got to hold the fact that this is of God, but everyone else thinks, I've been sleeping around. It's faith to believe that a king over a country could come from the dirty fields, from nowhere. Whatever it is, God, you're stirring in our soul. We now respond with worship, with worship, which is obedience. Yes to you, not just with my lips, but with my life. God, may the season draw us in to live for you and walk with you and follow you all the days of our life. God, may it happen here and now, we pray. We pray these things in Jesus' name.